Welcome into Loho Daily. I am Loho, a.k.a. Lawrence Holmes. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. The Bears play Monday night, so we have the preview for you today. There is a lot that I want to discuss and I want you to hear as the Bears get ready to take on the Rams on Monday Night Football. I'm excited to see what happens. I'm, I'm honestly... I'm honestly curious on how this is going to to look for the Bears, and I'm looking forward to seeing them take on the challenge of facing a team that a lot of people think is pretty good and maybe better than them. When I look at the Bears, I see a team that has a 5-1 record, and I think that there is a lot to – factor into that like and don't worry we're going to talk about some of those things i guess this could be the leonard floyd revenge game i hate the concept of revenge games but i do like that we talk about them in those terms that leonard floyd is going to have an opportunity to get after the bears quarterback and get after nick Foles, or if mitch ends up playing because of injury or whatever he'll be able to get after him but the Rams team looks on paper like they're better they have an offense that works more consistently than what the Bears do. And that's been a struggle for the Bears to find that off. You start looking at where the Bears are from a points-per-game standpoint. They are down there in the depths of the NFL with teams like the Giants, like Washington, like the Jets. That's not good. That's something that needs to change. Let me start here. Since we're talking about the Bears offense, I want you to listen to what Anthony Heron said to me about the Bears offense this week. And I want to set this up so that you understand where I'm coming from. I asked Big Ant if anything that he's seen from the Bears offense can give Bears fans hope that things are going to get better now that they've played six games. Is there anything that he's seeing that maybe I'm not seeing? Because it's a guy who played in the NFL. He understands how offenses work. Is there something out there that can give Bears fans hope that we're going to see a better version of the Bears offense? Take a listen. I left the pause in on purpose. Take a listen to him searching for an answer. Wow, that pause is not great. That is that is that was not Big Ant's screen freezing up. That wasn't anything like that. That was him trying to come up with something to tell you about this Bears offense. All right, sir, yeah. have at it. I mean, you know, you because you, you asked the question through through the framework of kind of the, the positive lens, is there something to be excited about? Tangibly, to be honest with you, there doesn't seem to be yet. There, there were some intangible things. There were some mental and emotional things I was encouraged by, both during the game and after the game. But the fact that the Bears couldn't move that depleted defensive front, that front seven for Carolina, they couldn't move them off the ball. That's a problem. That's a big problem. It doesn't mean that it can't be corrected. I've been, I've been a part of NFL teams where, like, I was on a Falcons defense that one week. Kansas City Chiefs and, and Priest Holmes just mopped the floor with us in the run game, and the coaches challenged us during the week, and we came back the following week against Dallas, another good rushing attack, and the following week played the run better. And sometimes it, it's a mentality thing. But the Bears, this, this has been several weeks of this, so this isn't the thing with the Bears' offensive line that you go into one game and you don't run the ball well when you want to commit to the run, 
And then the following week after you get challenged, now, okay, we got to get our minds right here. This has obviously been several weeks. It's really been since the second game. You know, we kind of, you know, some people gave the, the Bears a pass on the third game as far as the rushing numbers afterwards. But a lot of that was a 45-yard chunk run from Mitch Trubisky that made the overall rushing total look better afterwards. They really haven't run the ball well since week two. And now, back-to-back games against really dominant run defenses, you know, front sevens that can play the run as well as anyone in the league. All right, so now you don't have the Colts. Now you don't have the Bucks defense. Now you're facing Carolina's defense, which has been one of the worst, one of the most porous against the run in the NFL, and you couldn't sustain a thing. So that's, that's very discouraging, especially when you add in that James Daniels, perhaps their best run blocker, is also not going to be with them the remainder of the season. They have got to get something figured out at guard. I think we, we got to sort of resign ourselves, I think, to Charles Leno and Bobby Massey on the edges. Cody Whitehair is, is a good center. He's, he's a good center. I, you know, Olin continues to talk about it, and I agree with him on the post-post show. Whitehair may be better suited for guard as far as his overall tool set, but Cody Whitehair is a good center. He can, he can hold it down in there in the way that he needs to, especially now that he's got the snapping QB center exchange thing figured out. But, but both guards just struggled so badly the other day, and folks are going to see that on film. They're going to face Aaron Donald on Monday night. They, they got to make something happen, and, and how do you go about that without some sort of a drastic personnel change? It's not like you're just going to go grab some other con- competent guard from some other team. So it's a problem, and it's a big problem. It's a problem that's going to continue to be exploited unless they figure out a way to get around that. Now, to be fair, Rashad Coward, it was his very first game of the season, the very first action he's had. So whether it's Coward or Alex Bars, if they go back that direction moving forward, then maybe you shore something else up just with some improvement at that spot. It's going to be really difficult. So I, I think part of that will be up to Nick Foles. And I do, I, I've been trying to diagnose why I do feel a little more comfortable when the Bears try to go with the supplementary passing attack to sort of, you know, supplement not having a, a run game. And they, they go with the screens and the out routes and the now routes and everything else. It does at least feel a little better to me now in games where they do that. Maybe part of it is me resigning myself to the fact that the Bears just won't run the ball well, so they got to do something. Part of it may be just it, it does come off as Nick Foles handling the pre-snap phase of that and just being more comfortable with the RPOs that they run and in, in saying that this is where we have a matchup and an advantage as opposed to Mitch seeming uncertain in those moments when they can try to take advantage of something to Anthony Miller or Allen Robinson when spatially they can take advantage of getting a quick five yards against the coverage. So that may just be the route the Bears have to go. Problem is, I just I don't know that that will be enough for this team to do what they have to do because they're not talented enough to not have at least a competent run game to pair with a competent passing attack. And they're not really consistently competent in either one of those phases. They're going to need both to be competent because neither one is going to become dominant enough by the end of the year to do what some of the bigger goals are that they have a shot at. So here's a scary stat. Yards per attempt. I've been keeping my eye on this statistic. The number usually, what what quarterbacks will tell you is that they want the yards per attempt, not yards per completion, yards per attempt to be around eight. Okay? So let's look at the, the teams in the NFL right now whose offenses have yards per attempt around eight. Now, there are some bad teams in here, strangely enough. You have some really good ones, too. Kansas City, Buffalo, 
Tennessee, Green Bay are all right at eight yards per attempt. Then you have the Colts, the Panthers, the Chargers, the Raiders, the Rams, who are one of the higher yards per attempt teams at 8.3, the Vikings, who are trash, the Seahawks, and the Texans, who are on the struggle bus. But the Texans actually have the the highest yards per attempt at 8.9 yards per attempt. And so now, of course, here's the swerve. Here's where I tell you where the Bears rank in that regard. They are second to the bottom in the NFL. The only team worse than the Bears when it comes to yards per passes attempted is the Jets. And they are markedly worse than the Bears at five and a half versus the Bears being right at six yards per attempt. It's those types of things that are keeping the Bears from being a, a, an offense that makes things go. Nick Foles and Mitchell Trubisky have combined for a completion percentage of 61.3%. And guess where that ranks the Bears? Near the bottom of the NFL. There are only five teams who are worse. The Jets, the Broncos, the Eagles, the Browns, the Lions. Then you start looking at the teams that are really good at it. And look, you find the Rams at 67.4% of their passes are completed. Again, there are a couple of outliers in here. The Texans, Sean Watson is completing 68% of his passes, and he's averaging nine yards per attempt. But his offense is awful, and that team's bad. But every other team that is near the top of the list is a 500-plus team when it comes to completion percentage of the quarterback. That's not even the worst part. When we start talking about rushing – for the Bears, that's where things can get really ugly. The 49ers are the best team in the league when it comes to running the ball, or one of the best teams in the league come running the ball. You start looking at what the Titans have done, where Derrick Henry is just running people over. Strangely enough, the Rams are one of the better teams at running the ball. They average 4.3 yards per carry. And now, since the Bears are playing the Rams, you say to me, Lawrence, where where are the Bears in yards per carry? They're under four yards. I'm actually surprised that you're seeing them even close to four yards per attempt. But they're at 3.9 yards. They have two rushing touchdowns, which is one of the worst percentages in the NFL. They have their runs on first down. Their percentage of that is 22.1%. I ran across something that you might find interesting this week. The Bears actually run the best out of 11 personnel, meaning one back, one tight end, a three-wide receiver set. When they go to some of the heavier packages, they struggle to run the ball. Their best success is when there's three wide receivers on the field. So the Bears are clearly a team that needs to spread out a defense and run the ball. Ah, but there's the problem. Because when you look across the field at who the Bears are going to play, there's a bad man waiting there. And his name is Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald is one of the most amazing interior linemen that have ever played in the NFL. He is a nightmare to deal with. 
He's so good. Just everything that he does, he he seems to do really well. And I I enjoy watching him get after it. I enjoy watching him attack offenses and and have teams that have to prepare for him. Have to prepare for what awaits them because he is such a special player. He's able to get small. He's able to wreck your game. He's able to make you feel like you don't have a chance of running the ball. He's able to get to your quarterback and terrorize. Like what he was doing against Washington a couple weeks ago where all of us just had our hearts in our throats watching Alex Smith be chased down by Aaron Donald and then Donald like jumping on top of him. And you're going, oh, no, that leg is not going to hold up. Luckily, it did. And I'm happy that it did. I, I Side note, I don't want to see that guy play football this year. I know that he's probably going to still play, but I do not want to see him play football. I, it just freaks me out every time that I see him on the field. So let's talk about 2020. Aaron Donald has played six games so far. And what he's done already would be a good season for a lot of players. He is seven and a half sacks. In that game I was talking about against Washington, he had four. You look at the times that he gets to hit the quarterback, he hits the quarterback an awful lot. He's bringing pressure. They line him up in a lot of different ways. He's a bad man. So I asked J.J. Stankovitz about this. I asked J.J. because to me, I look at the Bears' offensive line and specifically the interior of their offensive line going up against the interior of the defensive line, specifically Aaron Donald, as being a real advantage for L.A. Here's what J.J. told me about that. Teams will go into games trying to accentuate their strengths and minimize their weaknesses, but to minimize this weakness, I mean, we've been waiting for Nick Foles to take shots downfield, right? How can you expect Nick Foles to hang in the pocket long enough to take a shot downfield when you might have Aaron Donald lined up over Rashad Carter? You have Aaron Donald. He's done this a couple times. He lines up over the tackle, and they just run a game inside. But Donald has this almost like runway to go get to the guard. And when you've got Aaron Donald coming on the full head of steam, you're probably not stopping him, no matter who that guard is. So. It's going to be really tough. I think you might see a lot a lot of quick passing, a lot more quick game, um, which we've seen a lot of from Nick Foles. I think by by necessity, based on the defenses he's been facing that have tried to take the top and make sure he can't take the top off of them. Um, but now you got L.A. coming in with Aaron Donald, and that that's worrying, especially, too, because this offensive line across the board has not handled stunts very well. And it's not just left guard. It's the whole line. And, yeah, I think you, you said it perfectly, Lawrence, but the Rams' biggest strength is going up against the Bears' biggest weakness, and usually that goes to the team that's got the biggest strength. And we're all in agreement that that biggest strength is that Aaron Donald and, and that crew up front is a, a tough, tough road for the Bears. And Rashad Coward, I, I just feel like he's been put in a position where he can't win. They've moved him from defense to offense – 
They moved him from tackle to guard. They moved him from the right side to the left side. I, I just don't see how you can expect that guy to succeed and, and have some hope that he can turn into the player that you scouted him to be. I just think that it's really, really difficult. And I think they're going to have their hands full. I expect that the Bears will try to run away from Aaron Donald, that that will be the plan. They've actually had some success doing that over the last few years. They'll try to run away. They'll try to make him chase plays instead of making plays. And if Matt Nagy can do that and actually score, then more power to him. Then I'll be really impressed with what it is that they've come up with. So I'm painting this picture, and the picture looks kind of ugly, where I'm telling you all these things that are wrong with the Bears and specifically their offense. And I realize that I'm saying specifically quite a bit. I'm going to try to stop that right now. But let's talk about something that's good. Let's talk about their defense because their defense is monstrous. They make plays. I talked with Dan Durkin about this. And Dan is not a guy that does hyperbole. Like, that's not something that he does. He's very upfront about what it is he feels about a particular team. He thinks that the Bears have a Super Bowl-worthy defense, and he explains to me why. You're seeing playmakers emerge at all three levels. Um, You already knew what Khalil Mack was capable of when they acquired him, and I, I think that he has fit the bill. Akeem Hicks, uh, one of the more disruptive interior defensive linemen in the league, and he's proven that over the last, you know, better part of two, two and a half seasons with the Bears. Roquan Smith is now looking at looking like a, a top ten pick. He he is playing with instinct. He is playing with speed. And then Kyle Fuller is playing as well as any cornerback in the league. And so when you have those types of playmakers at every level of your defense, and then you think about a, a player like Eddie Jackson, who really hasn't had, he's had splash plays, but they've come back because of penalty. You think about those other four people I talk about and then think about where Eddie Jackson can even take his game to. When you have that type of playmaking ability on a defense and when you have that type of ability to wreck an offense's protection scheme on a play-by-play basis in a passing league, I just think it bodes well. I think that there are you know, a handful of really good defenses in the NFL, and the Bears happen to be one of them. I know that you and I have discussed Chuck Pagano before, and when you look at the history of Chuck Pagano as a defensive play caller, he's been a guy that wants to get there with four, maybe five. I've thought that he's been pretty creative in the way that he's gotten to the quarterback. this year. And I don't even mean getting the quarterback on the ground. I mean putting pressure on the quarterback with some of the blitzing that he's done. What does the film say? Yeah, I think that he, you know, he's been very conservative with his, his blitzes. He, he picks and chooses when to do it. You know, if, if you look at the numbers of when he's sending, it's not very frequent. Uh, Roquan, he sent the most, and then Danny Trevathan, and then he'll use some guys from the secondary. He's used uh, Gibson. He's used Eddie. He's used Buster Screen. I think Buster Screen's probably the best blitzer from, from the secondary. But um, what I like most about him, he, he doesn't blitz like he did when he was at Baltimore. I think it's just schematically a little bit different. But what, I, what I've been noticing more than anything over the last couple of weeks is how he is using line stunts and slants. And so 
Uh, let's take James Vodder's uh, sack against Tom Brady. I think he started to turn up the pressure a little bit more in the second half of the Bucks game, and you saw a, a fair amount of pressure this past week against uh, the, the Panthers, and it's what I call safe pressure. And what I mean by that is when you only need to bring in and insert one additional defender, you're really not compromising the amount of people you can keep in the back half of your defense. And so on the, the sack with Vodder's, the Bears slanted their defensive line to the left. And so what did that do? That got left guard uh, Ali Marpet, his eyes went to the right. And so with that, the Bears still had an end on that side of the field. The end takes an outside release, takes the tackle with him. Gibson fills that hole that Marpet left, and now all of a sudden Brady has no escape route. So what, what they do there is they get the offensive line looking and sliding one way. They occupy the tackle on the backside. Now all of a sudden the quarterback's looking where, where do I see color most? And then there's pressure coming from the backside, and there just happened to be a leak on the front side as well. So he's filling all of the escape routes for the quarterback. Teddy Bridgewater was really slippery last week in the pocket against the Panthers, but it was the same type of thing. They weren't compromising their secondary because they were using a lot of stunts and slants up front. Bilal Nichols and Robert Quinn paired on a couple to start the game, and those sped up the timing. Those sped up the the, the decision-making. If the, if the route wasn't there, Teddy had to make a different decision. He made some plays out of nothing in the backfield, and that's kudos to his elusiveness. But, again, it's, it's Pagano's ability to be smart about how he is slanting and stunting his defensive line just to give the offensive line something else to look at and also allow potentially for somebody to scrape off and come free and head towards the quarterback. And you've seen that amplify over the last couple of weeks. I've enjoyed watching Chuck Pagano, and I feel like we need to give him a little bit more credit. This isn't necessarily the type of uh, defense that we usually see from Chuck, but he's been he's really acclimated really well. I think we need to give him some props. Let me throw a couple of special teams things at you. Just a couple of notes that are interesting for me and something to keep an eye on. One, the Bears had signed Kai Forbath to their practice squad, and they have been kind of stashing him as another kicker. It was a smart move. Like, go get guys that you think are good and have them around just in case you have some issues with Cairo Santos or you have a COVID outbreak or whatever. By the way, Santos named the NFC special teams player of the week after coming through with a 52-yard field goal. And speaking of which, Cordero Patterson had no returns last week. He actually talked about it this week, saying that he expects that as the weather gets colder, it'll be more difficult for kickers to boom the ball out of the back of the, the end zone. But if he can't be an effective weapon, and this is not any fault of his, like he didn't do anything wrong, it's a way to neutralize the Bears' offense to keep the ball out of his hands on kickoffs. He is that important to what the Bears want to do. Back to the Rams. Johnny Hecker, their punter, he is known for being someone who throws the ball well. They use him on fakes a lot. They have not faked a punt yet. Beyond that, he is having his best season as a punter. He's averaging 48.3 yards per punt which is the highest average that he's ever had. He's at 11 punts that have landed inside of the 20 so far this season. So, yes, he is a threat for a fake, and, yes, he is a threat to pin you inside your own 20. So there are my special teams notes. I got one more thing, one more piece of sound that I want you to hear before we get out of here. And I joked on, on Twitter last week that the next time that Kyle Fuller makes a big hit 
on a play that we should all get up and start chanting ECW, 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 because he's such a hard hitter. He's such a hard hitter that the league doesn't know what to do with him, and they flag him on plays where he shouldn't be flagged. I like the way that he approaches the game. I like how tough he plays it. I like that he plays corner like a linebacker. So does Matt Nagy. Yeah, no, he's he he can do everything there. I mean, back there, and, and you know what too that I, I really appreciate about Kyle is the amount of work he puts in um, off the field at home in regards to just studying film. I mean, he, here's a guy that's been in this league for a long time. He's seen a lot of different wide receivers, a lot of different comp, uh, route combinations from teams, and and so um, what you see is a guy that has great ball skills, has really good eyes and vision, um, and, and and super smart. But then also, like you just said, is he's not he's not scared to go ahead and and um, you know throw his shoulder pads around a little bit. And he's made two really really big hits. Um, one, unfortunately, that was, um, you know, flagged and the other one was a huge play for us. So uh, I think that's just an appreciation for who he is. And uh, it, it's important to have those guys. It is. He's been pretty spectacular. And think about it. He was almost not going to be a bear that they had kind of given up on him. And then he goes out and has an incredible couple of seasons. Good for him. He got his money and he's playing really well. He's playing hard, competitive football that Rams offense is really talented and they've got a bunch of really good receivers there's this is going to be a challenge for Fuller and Jalen Johnson who got picked on last week we'll see if if there's something that the Rams picked up on watching what Carolina did and maybe throwing the ball deep down the field to try and draw some PI penalties on the rookie this will be fun. We'll have a better sense of what the Bears are after this game. And I couldn't be more excited. I'll have a post-game podcast for you on House of L. Please go to it and subscribe. I do some fun stuff over there. And I'll be on the air all week this week talking about the Bears with some great guests. My show starts at noon. If you're on Twitch, you should be watching the show. We would really like for you to be a part of it that way. Thanks for all the support that you give me on every single platform that we do these shows. I love doing these podcasts. I love digging into the details a little bit with you, and I'm glad that you've enjoyed what we've done. Bears-Rams, Monday Night Football. Woo! Let's go.